the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 530, for Sunday, December 7th, 2014. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show. Are you sending cool stuff found like we did last week? Questions and tips like we're doing this week. And uh, we share everything that you send in and we answer the questions as best we can. We get answers from the community. We share tips. And the goal is for all of us to learn uh, several new things each time we all get together here. This episode is sponsored by Smile at SmileSoftware.com. Talking about PDF Pen Scan Plus this week. This episode is sponsored by Casper at casper.com slash MGG for 50 bucks off. Probably the best mattress you'll ever have and a great night's sleep over and over again. Coupon code MGG. And by Harry's at harrys.com. Uh, the coupon code MGG holiday gets you, yes, you, even if you're an existing Harry's customer or if you're a new Harry, Harry's customer, five bucks off. So we'll talk more about all of that during the show, too. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Freefall, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing today, John F. Braun? Uh, less things are broken. That's good? <laughs> the more things are broken. That's good, yeah. Well, yeah, you know. I'll fix them. Now I got things that are leaking. <sighs> oh, no. That's not good. Yeah. No, my car. It's manageable. Oh, okay. Well, that's not surprising, given given your car's uh, advanced years. Yeah, slow coolant leak. No. no. It kind of shocked me the first time the light came on on the dash, because I'm like, huh, what's that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I had to read the manual. It's like, oh, it means you probably need a little more coolant. And I looked, and sure enough, so. Gotta, I, gotta I'm, guessing, I'm guessing your car's manual uh, does not come in PDF form. Not anymore. Yeah. No, I don't think it ever did. Right. No. Yeah. But I kept it. But yeah. You know, that's, a, that's a tip I'd like to share with everyone. Um, something that I started doing years ago and has so paid off. Anytime I buy anything, it could be, uh, you know, a car, uh, a new washing machine. Uh, you know, when we got the, the, the new, uh, you know, we put a new faucet on our sink. Uh, obviously, when I get new computer hardware, you know, any kind of electronics hardware, when I buy a new watch, anything, I go out while the product is new and current, or at least current, and get the PDF of the manual. Even if it came with a paper printed manual that I'm, that's what I'm going to use to like install it or whatever, you know, that, that's fine. But I go get the PDF of the manual and I save it. Uh, I used to save them in my Dropbox. Um, now I save them in my, uh, you know, on my disk station, but I have them all backed up. And I've got manuals now going back, you know, I probably started doing this 10 years ago and uh, it is a fantastic resource because then when I have a problem with something, I don't need to first think, wow, where did I put that manual or let's dig through that big pile of paper manuals that we have to find this one, you know, the two pieces of paper that, that tell me what I need to know. And also, you know, when you start searching online and a product is now five years old, eight years old, 10 years old that stuff's not around or you've got to deal with those like, you know, shady manual websites that archive these things and try to charge you and this, that, and the other thing, oh, Just, yeah. you know what I mean? So 
yeah, just take them, archive them, and uh, and then that way you have them. And they they don't, you know, they're PDFs. They don't typically take up very much space. It's it's not the uh, the the storage space that's the issue. It's just the access to them. So so there's my first tip for the day for you, starting right out for everybody, you know, but uh, but for you too, John. It's good. It's good for all of us. Indeed. Yeah. I want to talk about our first sponsor, John smile, smilesoftware.com. These, uh, long time listeners, even, even short time listeners to the show will, uh, will know how much we love uh, everything the folks at smile do. And, uh, and this week, uh, we get to talk about PDF pen scan plus, as I mentioned in the intro, PDF pen scan plus is, uh, I, you know, it's a, it's a mobile scanning app, right? It takes advantage of all this hardware that we have in our pockets, not just a phone uh, that happens to have a camera, but it's also a phone that happens to have a camera that happens to have a really uh, capable uh, computer in it. Right. And, and that's where, that's where things get really interesting with PDF pen scan plus you point your, your phone. In fact, you could do this to save that user. Man- if you can't find that user manual online, Right. You know, you get a paper user manual with your new faucet or whatever. You use PDF pen scan plus scan that manual. And uh, and and then what it does is it, it you just take it when I say scan, you know, your camera is a scanner. It's a single page at a time. Right. And so you point this thing at, at, at the first page of the manual. You, you take a picture using the app. Um, you can scan multiple images into a single document. Right. So you could create it this way. Um, it'll detect the page edges automatically, right. And crop the scan down. And then now you've got, you can, and you could stop right there and save that as a PDF and you would have your manual, but that's going to be a pretty big file and also not searchable because it is, uh, only pictures, right? It's not, um, it's not text, but it is, it's pictures of text. And like I said, you have a capable computer as part of the phone with a camera in your pocket. So uh, PDF pen scan plus has OCR built right into it um, to convert your scans into searchable, editable PDFs, which also happen to be a lot smaller because the image isn't baked in there. It's just the text and the OCR is performed on the very capable computer in your pocket. It doesn't have to send it out to some cloud service or anything. Um, you can preview it and, and make sure that the, the text that the um, recognition engine is, is, uh, is correct. And then uh, you can, once you're done, you can automatically upload these scans to Dropbox and or iCloud. Uh, PDF Pen Scan Plus, uh, just 1.5 just came out and they added uh, even better image stabilization. So you're getting clearer scans, which means, uh, well, clearer scans, but also more reliable uh, character recognition. Uh, It does now support iCloud Drive. And uh, even has like a little improvement uh, in the camera layout too. So you got to check this out. Uh, it, it fits perfectly in with this uh, PDF pen scan plus from uh, from the fantastic folks at smile, smilesoftware.com. John, you um, you have been plagued lately. Thank you to the folks at smilesoftware.com. Uh, they are excellent people. So, John, you have been plagued by um, issues with Wi-Fi. And you're not alone on your on your new to you refurb uh, 2012, right? MacBook Pro and uh, with Yosemite. And you did you were not going to take no for an answer. So you you did some coding, didn't you, my friend? I fixed it. All right. (laughs) Or at least introduced the fix because I'm sick of waiting for Apple to fix this. Apparently, they're still working on it. So. 
you know, as most of you know, so reportedly 10.10.1 was supposed to address some Wi-Fi issues. And at first when I upgraded, so the symptom I was running into was basically I would have a Wi-Fi connection to my uh, uh, Apple branded uh, Airport Extreme. Sure. Uh, or the Express because I have an extension downstairs. Um, and what would happen, it was just the connection would disappear. The icon would go from, you know, a solid black in the menu bar to gray, which basically means that uh, not connected anymore right. Look in the console. And at least in my case, though, people have seen different symptoms. In my case, I would consistently see, uh, for the most part, though there was another message, but I would see a message saying beacon lost and it would give the RSSI. And then it would say, um, I think a connection down on EN1, which is the name of the interface due to, uh, uh, I forget the exact wording. But it was like, due to uh, the, uh, I don't think the base is there anymore, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say goodbye. And it's like, well, no, 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 it's there. See? <laughs> yeah, please don't do that. Yeah. And the symptom of this is even if you tried to reconnect, um, so I would still see my base station in, in, the, in the airport menu, and I would try to reconnect to it, and it wouldn't reconnect. <sighs> it would say, nope, can't find your base. Sorry, it's not out there. That stinks. So, um, yeah. The only solution that I had was to turn Wi-Fi off and then on again, which is the way to solve. Uh, here's a secret for all of you. Um, here's a way to solve almost any technical problem. <laughs> turn it off, then on again. Well, and if that doesn't case, solve it, turn it off and leave it off forever. And then your problem is solved, right? Yeah. And go outside and that's right. Know, bask in the sun. nature and life. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, you know what? I'm getting sick of this. So, so they didn't fix the problem. I thought they did. They even upgraded, you know, in 10.10.1, they upgraded the Wi-Fi driver uh, for the chipset that I'm using. I noticed that they definitely did. If you look in, uh, you know, system info, software extensions, they upgraded it with the last update to, to 9.0.1 for the chipset I'm using. They still have the problem. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to write something that's going to basically do what I just said, which is turn it off then on again. So I decided to go out there. So, so I did a search. So I said, nah, let me do it in Apple script. It's probably the you know, simplest, uh, you know, or, or, you know, I haven't done Apple script for a while. So I did a search. I actually searched for Apple script uh, space Wi-Fi space on space off and came up with uh, some sample code. Here's a secret for you software developers is uh, you get that, get things. You, you are probably not the first one to run into a certain problem. And for example, uh, in this case, I was not. So I found some Apple script code that gave me a base to, to start here. It, it, it would turn Wi-Fi off and on again. Um, so it was at least a basis for what I wanted to do here. Uh, and then I had to do a bit of digging here. So, so basically what this Apple script did and then I built upon is that, so it actually launches um, a command in the terminal called uh, network setup. Uh, and if you go to the terminal and you do man on network setup, you'll see there is a boatload of options here uh, for doing any all sorts of things in your network, including uh, figuring out which interface that you have as the Wi-Fi interface and then also turning it off and on again. Sure. And getting the name of the base that you're connected to. So basically the strategy. So I had to do a bit of digging because I wasn't sure at first I coded it up and it was kind of primitive. And I said, OK, um, you know, check the name of the base you're connected to. And if it is the name of my base, you know, I hard coded it then. Um, or if it's not the name of my base, then assume that it's gone. All right. Well, that, that's a good start. But then I dug a little bit deeper and actually here's what happens is that if you are 
disconnected from a base, but you still have Wi-Fi on, then what it's going to do is report the name of the base you're connected to as associated, which to me is kind of weird. (laughs) But that's what it does. So basically, I uh, wrote this code here and, you know, I put it out. Uh, I'm I'm upgrading it here, but I put it out, you know, on my Dropbox and I did a tweet and, um, you know, some people retweeted it actually seems there's a lot of retweets um but basically what it'll do is every five seconds i I changed it a bit so you can set the timing you know you can look at the source so basically i say okay uh check the name of the base you're connected to and if it's if the name is associated then let's assume that it's gone and if you see that then turn wi-fi off and then on again okay the assumption here being is that the base that you have in your preferred networks that the top one is the one you want to connect to which in my case it is so this script totally solves the problem for me. That's awesome. You got to write that up and put it on TMO. Uh, that, yeah, that'll get it out to more people too. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to figure out how to, uh, how to craft the article here. But uh, in the meantime, if you check, uh, you know, you check my Twitter feed uh, and I'm actually upgrading it with, you know, more notifications and dialogues and comments and, nice. uh, and stuff like that, but it definitely solves the problem. And fortunately TCP IP is robust enough where even if you're in the process of doing something like uploading or downloading or watching a video or something like that, yeah, turning it off and on again, you may notice a hiccup, but for the most part, most things will resume once they see the connection back. Right. Right. That's a, that's a nice thing about TCP IP. So now reportedly they're working on 10.10.2, you know, there's a beta out there. That's no big secret. And apparently they're, they're still, <laughs> focusing on Wi-Fi with that one. So hopefully they'll get it right this time. But in the meantime, this makes me a lot happier because I mean, it, it, it was so random. I, I would run for hours and everything was fine. And then all of a sudden within the course of five minutes, it would be up and down like five times. Oh. Like, I, this is unacceptable. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. So my gift to you. Yes. I'll, uh, you know, we can check my feed or we'll, we'll uh, provide a link to it. Yeah. Put a link in the show notes, man. That'd be great. Cool. Well, fun. Nice job, man. That's good stuff. Uh, I want to say hi to everyone in our chat room at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Uh, I just got a note back for all of you that the uh, the issues we were having with the stream this morning have been resolved. The, the issues from our host or a note from our host just came in. So uh, so for those of you that were being very patient, uh, your patience has paid off and uh, and the stream is live there. And, and, and this does help all of you because... Having folks uh, like the smart folks in our chat room and, and any, everyone is welcome and it is an, an awesome place, but, uh, but there's always uh, at least a few in there that help keep us honest, uh, which is great. Uh, and, and by keep us honest, I mean, let us know when we've missed things during the show and they also help us craft the show notes and that keeps us from having to wait a week. Uh, it's real time feedback, which is fantastic. So uh, we've been doing the chat room for a couple of years and it really has improved, helped improve the uh, what I, I feel improved the quality of the show. So thank you to everyone in the chat room. And, and if you're not in the chat room, that's okay too. Uh, all right, John. So let's, uh, let's talk about Kevin, shall we? Yeah, let's get Kevin up here. All right. Uh, and let's, um, what does that mean? That means that I have to actually get Kevin up here. You want me to, you want me to grab, right. you want me to grab Kevin here? No, I, I got, got Kevin him. here. Okay, so so we'll, we'll start off here. So, so Kevin starts off. Uh, and he says, a few years ago, you talked about a solution for which I cannot remember the exact answer. And here's what he's seeing. Um, 
he's seeing uh, multiple occurrences of his machine, or, or rather the name of devices on his network starting to get a number added onto them. Um, and he says, you know, I seem to remember you guys suggesting some sort of router configuration in the past that could uh, possibly address this. Uh, so I got back to him and actually answered his question about what we suggested in the past to, to solve a, a similar problem or, and I'll just mention it very quickly here. Uh, Though it's, not, I don't think it's the solution to this specific problem here, but it's probably good practice. And and the uh, solution, or what you what you want to do is that if you are connecting um, to pretty much any base, and you're doing what's called DHCP, Dynamic Host Configuration Protocol, or something like that, which is basically a a, a system where your machine goes to the router and says, "Hey, I'd like an IP address," and it's like, "Up oh, here you go." Uh, and you know, you can have it for this amount of time and there's something called a lease. And then when that expires, um, you know, it may ask for it again, uh, or it should ask for it again. And, uh, you may get the same address. You may not. And that this could cause problems if your DHCP server is confused or something like that. So there's something called a DHCP reservation. Um, and you can do this on the airport and actually in the airport utility, if you start up the airport utility and then you go to the network tab, you will see a section that says DHCP reservations. What this basically does is binds either the MAC address of the interface that is talking to the base uh, or something called the client ID and binds it to a specific IP address. And I think in general, although again, it doesn't solve this duplicate problem, it's, I think it's best practice because um, it helps avoid confusion with DHCP. And I think I'll leave it at that. And then he no. got back to me and said, yeah, that's the thing that you suggested. Um, but then you stepped in, Dave, because that wasn't, well, it, you, it's not going to solve his duplicate host uh, or computer name issue. That that's a, a kind of a separate issue. It, it is, but I I, I want to go back to the DHCP, the need for DHCP reservations. Airport routers are stupid in this regard. Um, they will assign uh, IP addresses in order. So if let's say you assign you you know you go into your airport setup and you say your DHCP reservation. Uh, range or your sorry, not your reservation range. Your DHCP range is from say you know dot one hundred one to dot one fifty, right? The first computer it sees gets dot one hundred one, the second computer gets dot one hundred two, and so on. So if mm. if all your computers leave the network, and then the third computer comes back to the network, and it's the one that it sees first, but they've all left long enough that the that the leases have expired and and the table is is flushed, uh, that computer will then get dot one hundred one. I, that's stupid to me. Uh, other routers um, do something smarter. They take the MAC address that comes in with the DHCP request and they run it through uh, what's called a, a hash or a, a CRC or something that that bait that allows them to come up with a a number that fits into the range of your of your uh, of your DHCP range. And it tries to assign that address every time. And that way, even if it's a computer it hasn't seen in a month, it unless something else has, has been assigned the address that it would automatically get, it, it tries in this way to, uh, to assign the same address to every computer no matter how long it's been uh, since it's seen it. It's, it's not perfect, but it's at least an attempt at keeping things from getting confused. Because if you leave for a couple days and come back, uh, it may be that other computers kind of have your your name cached, and it's just easier that way. So uh, Apple could be a lot smarter in this regard. Um, 
but that doesn't solve this problem that has crept up with Yosemite. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I will, I will answer a question from the chat room. Brian Monroe asked, why not just assign a static IP for the stuff that you want, uh, not to change. And the reason is I don't want, I, when I'm on my home network, I don't want my computer's IP address to change, but I also want my computer to work when I bring it to other networks. And, uh, and I had this problem actually with a server years ago you know, we have power issues here and I had statically assigned, like gone onto the computer and set its IP address to be something very specific. Um, and that, that works fine. Right. But when our power went out here and I needed to get that server online somewhere else, I had to take that computer and bring it to another location, plug it into the network, but it wouldn't work on that network because it had a statically assigned address for my network. So then I needed to remote into that computer because there was, I didn't have a monitor with me that worked with that computer and fix you know, set that computer to, to do DHCP. And after that, I decided, no, everything gets a router assigned address. It's effectively like moving the decision for the static address from the computer to the router. And that way, when computers are on my network, they get the address I want them to have. But if I simply move them to another network, they will get whatever address they get assigned and it works great. But none of this, right? Right? None the, of. I want to. I want a final thing. The the other reason that you want to, I, I would say, avoid static IP address assignment, which is where the person that runs the device or owns the device and administers the device has to manually punch in the numbers. And I've seen this happen. I actually saw this happen in the corporate workplace when uh, uh, many years ago, when we first started rolling out TCP/IP, we had one person that accidentally uh, typed the router address into their IP address field. Oh yeah. You can't do that either. Yeah. 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 Well, he did it. And guess what happened? Then all the traffic in the building went to this person's, well, some of it went to the router and some of it went to this person's machine because it thought he was the router. Right. Right. Now, of course, you know, the, the, it, it take the, the TCP IP kind of takes care of that. And if you try to grab an address that's already assigned it, it, it should say no, if somebody's already using this, but right. Uh, yeah, you re- really want to avoid static. But that that uh, actually has addressing. that has nothing. All of this is great, and I'm glad we covered right. it. But it has so nothing. Let's, let's, it has nothing to do with Kevin's question, uh, because right. Kevin's <laughs> issue is not that his IP address is being uh, duplicated. It's that his computer is incrementing its own host name. So it, it might be Kevin's iMac, and then suddenly, and this is in you know uh, system preferences sharing, and you can set the name of the computer. And magically in there, some days you will see it says instead of saying Kevin's iMac, it says Kevin's iMac with a one in parentheses or then a two or then a three. This has nothing to do with other computers having Kevin's IP address. This has to do with other computers on the network announcing themselves uh, or believing that there is another computer on the network named Kevin's iMac or Kevin's iMac one or Kevin's iMac two. And we have seen this problem over the years. Uh, it is it is a hundred percent related to Bonjour, has nothing to do with DHCP, has nothing to do with IPs. I just want to make sure the previous conversation doesn't get confused into the answer for Kevin's problem today or in the future, because it has nothing to do with it. Um it, it is all about Bonjour, which is Apple's name for this zero configuration thing that allows uh, you to plug a computer in and it shows up in, you know, if you've got file sharing turned on, it shows up in your finder sidebar if you're on the same network and all of that great stuff. Um, 
if you have two computers that are the name, the same thing, what happens is, um, you know, you, you get this one added, but in Kevin's case, he knows he doesn't have two computers named the same thing. Um, what's happening is this Apple. Uh, if you have an Apple network device, which is either some flavor of airport router. And, and I think this goes back quite a ways. So, uh, you know, you're covered in this or an Apple TV. Those devices will act as what's called a bonjour sleep proxy. Um, if you have file sharing turned on on your computer and your computer is awake, everybody on the network sees your computer and can request uh, file sharing services from it. But if your computer goes to sleep, that it's no longer announcing its file sharing services and people on the network can't see it. But you want to be able to let your computer go to sleep and hit, and only wake up when someone needs to access it. And this is, we've talked about this on the show before. Um, it's a magic little thing that Apple has built. If there is an Apple, a piece of Apple uh, network hardware or a, um, uh, an Apple TV on the network, your computer just before going to sleep will reach out to that device and say, Hey, I'm going to sleep. Advertise my services for me, please. And then wake me up using a special magic wake up packet across the network. Uh, if someone requests that service. So what happens is your computer goes to sleep and now your Apple TV or your airport base station announces itself as your computer. You can start to see where the problem comes in here, because if your computer wakes up for another reason, it needs to go tell the other device, the, your airport base station. Hey, I'm here. Stop advertising as me. Um, and that should work fine, but it doesn't. And it works even less fine in Yosemite and especially so over a Wi-Fi uh, link. So uh, so what's happening is your computer is waking up. It looks quickly on the network as it goes to register itself with Rendezvous and says, hey, there's somebody else on the network named Kevin's iMac. So now I'm going to be Kevin's iMac one. And these, the problem is the timing of these things. It, it is then all going and telling the, the base station, stop, uh, uh, you know, stop pretending you're me. And it stops doing that, but it's not happening in the right order. You'd think Apple being a, we manage the whole widget kind of company that Apple could get this right. Um, and that this would not be a, a thing that is taking so long to fix. Cause this was even happening, happening uh, as I'm told during the beta process, I didn't see it, but I honestly wasn't looking for it. Uh, of Yosemite. So this is, you know, many, many months old uh, it, it long in the tooth here. So that's the issue. The solution is to tell your computer not to wake up for, um, for network access. And uh, that will mean that it won't wake up and it won't be advertised while it's sleeping, but it also won't be um, having its, its host name increased um, ad infinitum. And you do that in uh, system preferences, energy saver. There is a checkbox for wake for network access. And if you turn that off, then it doesn't go out and do the whole bonjour sleep proxy thing. And therefore this issue is mitigated. It doesn't solve the problem. It keeps it from happening. Two different things, but it, at, at the cost of not having your computer accessible while it's asleep on your local network. That's that. I guess. It well, works. I'll add one. I'll yeah, add, go. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll add one little thing here. Now, how, how can you see what Bonjour services are being uh, advertised by your various devices? 
And the answer is very quick. Uh, it's a little utility called Flame. And I will link to it. And for example, I'm running Flame. And if I look here and I look at my airport, Dave, one of the things that it advertises as a service is uh, it says Sleep Proxy. Nice. Oh, Just interesting. Just to be cool for people that are curious. Yeah, yeah. Flame is, is available for both OS X and iOS. And uh, I especially like running it uh, if I'm on a public network. <laughs> right. Because it gets kind of interesting because uh, most people will name their device uh, after them. Like, for example, when I go to our local library, I'll run it and I'll see. You know, it'll say, you know, John Braun's iPhone. Okay, well, yeah. But right. I also see the name of all the other devices that are advertising uh, Bonjour services. Um, so I guess that's kind of a caution. You may want to, um, yeah, well, well, in general, when you're on a public network, you want to be careful. But um, you may want to be careful about what you name your device. Um, now, I don't mind. I mean, if you know, I was on the public network and someone said, hey, where's John Braun? I'm, you know, I think I'm, I'd be okay with that. It, yeah, right. Probably not be. Right. <laughs> You could call it something else like, you know, Terminator. Or <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. You know, pop that in here. There yeah. we go. That's great. That's great. Uh, all right. I want to talk about our uh, second sponsor. And, uh, and that is Casper at Casper.com slash MGG. These folks make mattresses. Uh, that alone, that, you know, based on the mattresses that they make, that alone could make them special. These are killer mattresses. They're they're a uh, uh, foam mattress, got a memory foam core, and then uh, a latex foam around it. This is not the you know this is kind of the 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 new generation of of foam mattresses. Memory foam's been around for a while and is great, and it really is the kind of thing where once you sleep on this, you understand why you you uh, you want to sleep on this all the time. It 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 totally catches your all the contours of your body um gives you a very balanced uh surface to sleep on it doesn't get lumpy it doesn't get you know weird and it's awesome um so that's been true for a while there were initially uh but no longer some issues with memory foam specifically people getting really sweaty some people uh and that was because the foam also trapped heat in well uh the folks at Casper are smart. They use, uh, that's what this latex foam uh, is, is used for. And there's, there's many different types of foam in these mattresses. And, uh, and the latex at the outer edge actually helps uh, keep things cool. And it totally works. It, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's not a gimmick at all, uh, except in that it's a gimmick that totally works. Um, and, 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 and it's, it's kind of the new breed of, of foam mattresses. Now, it's an awesome mattress. That alone, as I said, would be enough to uh, to make Casper special. Uh, what really makes them special, though, is the way they get this mattress to you and the price that they charge. So the way they get it to you is you go online to Casper.mgg. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Casper.com slash MGG. And uh, and that'll show you to use the coupon code MGG at checkout for 50 bucks off. And you you pick your mattress and and, you know, prices range from. Um, I mean, these things are cheap. It's like, you know, 500 bucks for a twin size mattress up to uh 950 for a King. Now that's retail. So you get a King for 900, you get a queen for 800, you get a full size for 700. This is like half the price that you'd pay for a mattress of this quality. And trust me, I know 
I've been buying mattresses in the house in the last five years. Uh, these Casper ones are top quality without top price. And it's because they're just delivering direct to you. There's no showroom. The showroom is your bedroom, um, which is the right place to, to test out a mattress. Uh, you know, spending five minutes on a mattress in a store is not enough, you know, to, to know if this is going to work for you. You frankly, you need to test it for several weeks. And, uh, and that's what Casper, uh, lets you do. So you go online, you order your mattress you use the coupon code MGG to get 50 bucks off. And then they send you your mattress. It comes in a box. Um, the box is perfectly sized so that it easily fits through all your doorways and everything. You get the mattress into the room that you want to, um, that, you know, like your bedroom as it were. And, uh, and then you open up the box and out comes the mattress in a, uh, in a, in a, a plastic sleeve. You take the plastic sleeve off and then there's like one of these Tyvek sleeves around it with a little letter opener. And they tell you exactly where to put this letter opener to strip along the Tyvek sleeve without any risk of damaging the mattress. And you just zip along a little Tyvek sleeve out pops the mattress. You kind of unfold it or let it unfold. You sort of guide it through its, its unfolding process. And within 90 seconds, this thing is ready to roll. It poofs right up. And you're good to go. You don't have to wait three days for this thing to mature or anything like that. Nope. 90 seconds and you can sleep on this thing. I mean, I'd recommend putting sheets on it um, because that's just smart uh, practice. But uh, but it's it's ready to go at this point. And uh, but if you need to, if you don't like it, if you find that after a couple of weeks, this isn't the right mattress for you. That's okay. You contact Casper within the first hundred days. That's a long time. That's more than three months. I know you folks are smart. I don't have to tell you that. Hundred days, and uh, and you can just return it to them. They make the returns easy. It's totally risk free, and uh, and and it's a fantastic. You won't return this thing. They know that. That's why they're going to offer you this hundred day return period because you might not like it. Um, but that's that that risk is really low to them too. Because uh, because it's a fantastic mattress. Again, you get 50 bucks off with the coupon code MGG. So visit Casper.com slash MGG and then uh, use that coupon code to get yourself probably the best night's sleep that you've ever had. All right, John. Thanks to the folks at Casper for uh, for getting me a good night's sleep. I appreciate that. Let's talk about video formats and codecs and all that stuff. We had uh, we had a couple of questions come through about this. And uh, Seth, well, let Seth start us off. He says, uh, I read your post on Mac Observer about ripping Blu-ray discs. I'm just starting to create my library that I can host on my Synology. I understood uh, that I want to rip the Blu-ray DVD to an MKV format and then use Handbrake to convert that. Uh, For sending video from my Synology to my widescreen TV, what is the best format? I assume that depends on what device I'm using to mediate the transfer, Apple TV, Chromecast, etc. What would be the best route to get the best Blu-ray experience on the TV? Um, so it's a good question and it's a valid question. Uh, it's a question that has many answers. Um, it's, you know, almost like asking a Unix geek, what uh, is the best text editor? There are some very wrong answers, but uh, but there are many correct answers, and everyone has one that is their favorite. Um, Emacs. That's right, John. That of course it is. <laughs> that's right. Um, it, so, 
I, you know, my feeling is if you want the easy route, you're already using handbrake and this is going to do fine for you. Um, use the Apple TV three preset, right? That is going to get you a good quality movie with sound in the right format to use with your Apple TV. I believe that format would also work with your Chromecast, but the nice part about using the Apple TV three format is it also will work on your iPhone and iPad. If you want to choose to sync those movies in, in their uh, originally converted format, you could also then convert from there for an iPhone version. If you don't want to have a huge uh, sized file on your phone, but, uh, but it will work. So that's that's usually what uh, what I would recommend. However, if you want to get geeky, I mean, like really geeky, Don Melton is the guy to check out. Um, Don was the um, uh, uh, he worked at Apple. And while he was at Apple, he started both the Safari and the WebKit projects there. So he's got some street cred and uh, at least in, in my book, he does. It, but since he's left Apple, he's become like a super geek about um, keeping his his video library uh, a accessible digitally like we all do. And and therefore, that means buying DVDs or Blu-rays and then ripping them. And he wants to do it in a great format. And uh, he also happens to know a thing or two and some people that are responsible for doing this uh, in a mass scale, specifically the folks at Apple um, who do this for the iTunes store, the movies that go in the iTunes store. So he kind of took the gist of, of that knowledge and built a, a script that goes through, it uses the handbrake uh, from the terminal, which is totally doable and, uh, and, and converts the video without really without any interaction from you. So yes, it is a geeky terminal script, but you don't have to know much or do much to invoke it. And then it uses all of this logic that Don has, uh, has deemed worthy of applying to basically make you a movie file. That is the same quality that you would get if you were, um, to have just bought that movie digitally direct from Apple or, uh, you know, or any other source online kind of thing or rented it or, or whatever. So you take your Blu-ray and then you kind of run it through, uh, Don's process. And, and now you've got this killer, uh, file with basically, you know, no noticeable loss. So I will put a link to Don's, uh, script. It's, it's hosted at, uh, at GitHub, but I'll also put a link to a podcast that he did on iMore, uh, iMore's vector show, uh, about a year ago, uh, where he talks through this. He's crazy. Um, I love him for that, but you kind of have to know that, you know, you're getting involved with some, some nutty people here when you're going to go listen to this podcast. So, um, but it's outstanding. So I will put a link to that there too. Have you checked out any of Don's Don's stuff? No. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's, that may or may not be a good thing, right? He's um, like I said, you got to know what you're getting into. So I will, uh, I will put these, these links in the show notes here and, uh, and it will, it'll, it'll make a difference for you. You know, there, there are some people, there are other people the, the other thing to research, uh, out there, which I'll mention is an, and these people are, are, um, are pirates. So I, I'm going to preface everything with that. Um, but there is a group of, of pirates or a single pirate. I don't know called Y I F Y. Um, these people have figured out a way to take Blu-ray discs and convert them down to 1080p videos with two channel sound that are about 
uh, you know, gig and a half in size. That's unheard of, right? Normally you're talking, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine gigs, um, to, to do this. And, and that's what you'll probably get using, using, uh, using Don's script. So, um, I, I have, I have not done a ton of, uh, of research on these Yiffy people. I I've heard about them as I come through all this stuff. Uh, I have downloaded some of their movies just to see how they can. And they're awesome. I, I, you know, people complain about them in some ways cause they can see artifacts, but if you're not totally nutso, there really is. And I would love to figure out what their magic formula is. Some people have speculated to it. There's a lot of research out there on it. No one has really come forth and said, yes, this is what we do. This is how we get this done. Um, but that, um, that would to me be the Holy grail because I, I, I you're going to yell at me that the video purists out there, but I would love to have a smaller version of the 1080p movies because most movies, I don't care about the, the minor uh, inaccuracies. Uh, many of some of them, of course I do. And those I happily rip at, you know, massive size, but, but you know, for a movie that's more about the drama than it is about the, the pristine special effects and all that, I just want a decent, you know, quality movie to watch. Um, so uh, I, I would love that, but I have yet to find that particular bit of wisdom. So, so I use Don's and, and I have monster files and I just have to buy more hard drives is how that works. But, uh, but you know, yeah, I haven't done this. Have you ever used something called FFmpeg X? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Handbrake is better um, than that. I think, it, it's it's a little it's a little more full featured. Uh, FFmpeg is a a Unix, um, uh, long, long in the tooth. I mean, it's been updated, but it's been around for a while. Uh, FFmpeg is a, a command line script, and and somebody built a, an OS ten wrapper around it years ago, and and they've kept that updated too. But um, I, I prefer Handbrake just because it's got a, a couple of little easier tweaks to to do. But it's all the same, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't. You know, like I said, I haven't done this in a while. I, I remember the last time I had to use this was when I was transcoding videos. So this is when I had a Power Mac or, or a, a G4 mm-hmm. portable Mac. Mm-hmm. And I had videos that would stutter because the machine just didn't have, have the juice, man. Sure. <laughs> so I actually had to uh, transcode or downsample to to make them, uh, have them at a lower data rate. Sure. Uh, so that I could bring them with me and, and play them. Yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, X-Files episodes or some movies that I had wanted to, to watch with some other people and put them on the computer. Right, and, uh, right. But yeah, Handbrake. Uh, yeah, I think I've used Handbrake recently as well. Yeah, Handbrake's great. I, you know, I, it's, um, it's great. I'll, I'll put a link to that article where I talked about ripping Blu-rays um, because it's, a, it's an interesting thing, right? You've got to get the right drive and you can get the right drive for like 40 bucks. So it's not a big deal. Um, but uh, you know you've got to you've got to get the right drive to do it, and then uh, kind of run through the right process and all of that. So it's not um, it's not as simple as it should be. Um, but maybe the movie companies agree that it's exactly as difficult as it should be. So uh, you know. Anyway, that's uh, that's where that goes. But then um, we got a question from Antone. Let me, uh, let me pull up Antone here because along the same lines, Antone writes, uh, I just upgraded uh, to a, to a 1010 uh, to Yosemite 
and I did an upgrade from 10.8. All is working well other than I lost all the video codecs I had loaded. I can't play my WMV and AVI files in QuickTime or Quick Launch in the Finder anymore. I installed Flip for Mac to get WMV playback back on the Mac apps, um, but I got a player instead. When I open a WMV file in QuickTime, QuickTime converts the file to MP4 and then plays it, not what I was looking for. If I wanted to convert the file, I would use Handbrake. If I wanted to just play the file, I would use VLC. How do I get codec support back? Well, VLC may be your only option. Uh, there were a lot of these codecs around. Like you said, Flip for Mac had the... Uh, the WMV support, but um, there was something called Perian, P-E-R-I-A-N at Perian.org. And it was a collection of codecs that was maintained by a lot of folks. I think Chris Forsyth, the guy who does growl was involved there, but there were several programmers that were actively uh, participating and contributing and maintaining this. Uh, and then it, it, it was, was end of life several years ago. So, those codecs may not work with Yosemite and that may be your problem that you updated to Yosemite and these codecs just went away uh, or stopped functioning. You could try down the, the downloads are still available at Perian.org, but I don't think you're going to have luck. It's worth trying, but I don't think you're going to have any luck. I really try V I, I really think VLC is your answer. Um, VLC at uh, videoland.org is a, a media player for your Mac uh, that will play all of this stuff. So I think that's that's going to be your your magic answer. You've used VLC, right, John? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, when when uh, for the WMV videos that I do have, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm kind of okay with the the flip player. And that I'm, yeah, I'm right, the separate why player. You, why you? Well, he, yeah, yeah there I mean, was that, a plug and, and it's free. Yeah. I mean, it's currently, uh, yeah, I get that, uh, uh, but it's currently free and you know, I'm, you know, for what you pay, uh, the thing is uh, you, if you get it now, I think they pester you to buy the pro version, which is 29 bucks. And if you just want to play stuff, the free player to me is, is, is fine. Yeah. 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 You know, it plays, it doesn't, you know, the, the premium one, you know, lets you do editing and you know, some, some other advanced options, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of a pain because, you know, at one point Microsoft actually, you know, made a player, but then they abandoned it and handed it off to these guys. That's right. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, John, do you want to take us through uh, through Ron here? I will take you through Ron. Okay. So Ron has an issue that many people have run into. And I don't have his question up here, even though I have all of these things loaded here. <clears throat> oh, give me. I think you need, I challenge you between now and the end of the year to come up with a better system for managing uh, these things mid show. Yojimbo works well for me and would work fine for you, I think. But perhaps there's something even better that uh, could manage a collection of PDFs and, and, and pop them right up. And that way, oh, here it is. you know, you're not having to. Now we're good here to stumble. Okay. So I got it. Yeah. I mean, typically I load everything up in preview and then search for it and it works. Right. In this yeah, case, but it doesn't I, work. I know, preview, it's, preview, it's been preview, failing preview. you for 10 years. Well, usually it works. Yeah. Sometimes it fails me. Yeah. So, all right. Anyway, you've got it. But now. here's the question. From Ron. Yes, I have it now. Yeah. I should really make sure when I load them that they are actually loaded. So, 
Gentlemen, happy holidays and keep up the good work. I'm running out of backup space and need a new hard drive. I also use Carbonite. I want to move my time machine data to the new to a new drive. Can I just copy the time machine data to the new drive and then point time machine at it? Um, the answer is yes. <laughs> now, this used to be a pain in the neck, but I've noticed that uh, over the years, Dave, uh, OS X has gotten much better about doing the right thing when it sees that you've changed something in the, in the time machine environment, such as this. Like you're running out of space and you want to move it over to a larger drive. Um, yeah, in the past, you would have to do all sorts of, you know, fiddling with the UUIDs and this and that. I remember having to do that in order to bring over, you know, a thing on one drive to another. I think they were trying to play it safe, saying, you know, ah, I don't recognize this. I don't, I don't necessarily want to, you know, bring it into your new environment, right? But um, fortunately now, and they just updated the article here, Dave, but Apple actually has a wonderful article called Time Machine, How to Transfer Backups from the Current Backup Drive to a new backup drive. <laughs> and to me, that's the answer. Yeah, well, I'm with you. Yeah, they I mean, made it, it better. Detail. It, yeah. it, it gives you a secret. I'm not going to read through it because, you know, I'm, that's you can read through it. Sure. If you need to. It basically gives you the sequence of events as far as copying things and turning it off and turning it on again the proper procedure so that when you do point to the new one, and I think you, you typically, or at least when I've done this, you get an alert and it says, Hey, you know, I see this old time machine, uh, you know, thing here. You want me to pick up where, where we left off? And then you say yes. And then, then you're good. So again, it used to be a pain in the neck. Now, not so much, but, uh, make sure you read the article and, uh, and follow the steps that they provide. Cool. All right. Um, let's see. You know, along the lines of uh, migrating and all of that stuff, Paul has a has a question here, um, and it's 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 worth going through. It's it's kind of a geeky thing. Uh, you know what I want to do, John? Uh, before we talk about Paul, I want to talk about Harry's. Harry's dot com is the place where well, it's the place where I get all my razors now. Right. I um before Harry's came out as a sponsor, I was an electric razor guy because I had gotten so sick and tired of the crummy blades that you get when you go to the supermarket and you're spending like, you know, 30 bucks and you're getting these blades and they're junk. And that's what happened to the founders of Harry's, too. Uh, instead of just switching to an electric like me, they actually did something about it. They bought a razor factory in Germany. And this is where. All of these razors are made and they're fantastic. Uh, I have totally switched. Uh, my wife even insisted, you know, we did that cruise uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, my wife insisted that instead of being lazy and traveling with my, um, with my electric, I had to bring the hairy stuff because it gets me, it's such a closer shave. And honestly, it really doesn't take any longer uh, to shave that way. I certainly can take my time, right? If I want to, but, uh, but it certainly doesn't take me any longer to just, um, to, to shave with, uh, with, you know, with the, with the blade and, and man, the hairy stuff. So, you know, we talked about it last time. They've, they, they started out with a shave cream and now they've also added a foaming shave gel to this and you can get that with their kits. And I've got a, a actually a pretty special kit that's available for new customers as well as existing customers. You both get 
five bucks off. I love it when companies do this, when they give you money off, even if you're already a customer. A lot of these deals are just new customers because it's an acquisition play. These guys, they know what they're doing there. Uh, they want to treat you right. And so now during this Christmas season, MGG holiday is the coupon code that you got to use special coupon code because it's a special deal. MGG holiday gets you their uh, Harry's winter Winston set right now. Uh, it's normally 30 bucks because of this coupon code. Uh, you get five bucks off everybody, even loyal Harry's customers get five bucks off on this winter Winston set. That's the one we have, John. Uh, it's got the, uh, the Chrome razor handle, three great blades. And then you either get, as I was mentioning before, the shave gel or the shaving cream, the shaving creams that they started with. I've tried the shave gel too. Now they, they, they sent me one, John. And, uh, I actually, I like them both. I mean, it's, it's definitely the, the foaming shave gel definitely gives you that more, uh, classic kind of, you know, shaving foaming kind of thing happening. And it's probably the, not probably it's definitely the best shave gel I've ever used. The, the best foam. It's really, it, it, it's got a scent to it. It's nice. Um, I still prefer the, uh, the shave cream from Harry's cause that's really a special experience. I know you, you guys laugh at me when I talk about this, but it's like this, this silky, uh, luscious thing. And, um, and it's awesome. I love it. Uh, it really, it's like a special, it's a nice thing you put on your, put on your skin and then, and then, uh, and then you shave it all off along with, uh, obviously all your hair. So the thing is, here we are, uh, you know, you've got somebody, maybe you, you need a, uh, a refresher from Harry's or maybe you, you're a first timer or you've got somebody that, you know, you want to shop for, right? This is, this is a perfect gift set. And, uh, it, like I said, the winter Winston set from Harry's, it's their, you know, top of the line stuff. Uh, normally 30 bucks for the set, which is cheap anyway, with the coupon code MGG holiday, you get five bucks off. So it's 25 bucks and, and free shipping. So, uh, so you can check all that out. Uh, it really, like I said, it's really good stuff. Uh, I, John, you know, I know you use it and, uh, and I use it too. Now my, my wife insists. So check it out. Harry's.com. And the coupon code is MGG holiday and that'll get you five bucks off their winter winston set no matter whether you're a returning customer new customer buying it as a gift doesn't matter five bucks off their winter winston set mgg holiday check it out at uh harrys.com and thanks to harry's for uh for sponsoring us this year uh it's been it's been fantastic and we look forward to continuing if uh if uh if it all goes that way so again mgg holiday at harrys.com all right, John, now it's time to, uh, to talk about Paul. He, um, well, let me, let me just read Paul's question. He says, uh, I'm planning to update to Yosemite, but I would like to clean up and secure my system in the process. I'm having trouble coming up with a step-by-step -step process for getting this done. and was hoping you could help. Uh, and he goes through and he says, I want Yosemite there. Uh, I want file vault enabled, uh, I want all my obsolete and unused applications and data gone. Uh, I want a bootable USB stick. I want a bootable clone. And so he says, I think what I'm going to do is a full backup, which I would agree. Of course, that bingo. Nice work. Uh, I am going to use super duper carbon copy cloner to make a bootable clone. Yes. I'm going to do a clean install of Yosemite. Um, 
And I would do that from your bootable USB stick that you're going to create with like, uh, you know, discmakerx.com. That's a, that's a good utility to use. That is now Yosemite compatible. So that's, that's how I would do that. Says so then I want to use turn on file vault two and that's fine. You can turn on file vault two as soon as well, actually you can't, uh, well you can, no, yeah, you can, you can turn on file vault two as soon as you get the system up the first time, or you can get all your data and applications migrated over and turn it on that. It doesn't matter when you, when you turn on file vault two, um, that, but that's fine. Um, it says then I, I want to move all my users and data. Do I need to keep the same IDs? And yes, this is really important. Um, the Mac, you use your username on your Mac. And so you have your main username for me on my Mac. It's Dave Hamilton. And then there is the short username, which is Dave that appears for me in the terminal. Um, and yours will be different, presumably, unless you've set yours to Dave, which is fine. Uh, but your Mac doesn't follow you that way. Your Mac follows you by your user ID. And this is really important. Um, if you're migrating data from your old Mac to your new Mac, you want your, your best bet, the easiest, simplest, smoothest path is going to be if you have the same user ID that you did on the old one. Um, I believe OS 10 these days assigns user 501 as the first user that's created, then 502, then 503, etc. So if you have three users, if you only have one user on the computer, you're totally fine. But if you have more than one, create them on the new computer in the same order that you created them on the original one. And then that way, when you migrate your data over and have all those permissions assigned, you're not going to wind up with a wacky scenario. So that's, um, that's really the trick is, uh, is just create the users in the same order that you did on the previous, either Mac or previous drive, depending on, you know, what you're doing your migration from and you should be good to go. Have you noticed that John, the whole, uh, you, I'm sure you've dealt with it over the years. Uh, yeah. I mean, typically the way I deal with it is I use migration assistant. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, yes, migration. But it seems system. like Paul doesn't want to do that. He doesn't. And I grok that. I mean, every now and then it's good for it to have a clean install. Migration assistant is, is okay. Um, but it does bring along everything, right? It's going to bring along all of his data and or all of his applications. And he doesn't want that. He wants to force himself to start scratch from scratch and only install the applications that he needs and only have the data that he needs. And I, I get that. I, I get that. Uh, okay. I, I, I get that. It's in my humble opinion, creating a lot of extra work, which you could potentially avoid. Yeah, you know, I may want to. <laughs> we actually have a question that's a little farther on the agenda that uh, uh, one of the tools that's mentioned actually kind of addresses this. You want me to ruin everything here and <laughs> kind of give you my thought on that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, <laughs> all right. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not sure where you're going with this because I'm looking at the agenda and kind of scratching my head wondering where, where it is you're going. But go, of course. Yeah. Well, I think it's where I'm going is Larry. Okay. Do you see why I'm going to Larry? Go ahead. Keep I want going. to go to Larry and then come back here. All right. So Larry has a problem, but but it involves using a tool, which I think would apply for, for uh, this case as well. Okay? okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So basically, here's what happened. So um, Larry had a problem, and he sent us a screenshot here, and he basically said, 
Hi, guys. I can't seem to open anything with preview anymore. Um, and he shows us a screenshot and it basically says uh, uh, preview is damaged, man. Sorry. Can't can't launch it. I don't know why this happened or how this happened. Um, hopefully his disk is not failing. Yep. But preview is damaged. And I guess uh, OS 10 knows enough through some means where if something's damaged, it's not going to try to launch it because it'll probably crash and burn and, and you know everything. So he's like, um, so can the OS like magically regenerate this if, uh, you know, if I do throw it away? And uh, wouldn't that be swell? <laughs> it, it would. Um, based on what I know, no, that does not happen. Now, fortunately, our friend Larry has a backup, which is good. So he told us he, had, he has a backup. So I suggested the following here, kind of a methodical approach to solve his problem here because he likes using preview. I like using preview, even though sure. you know, I don't always find what I'm looking for. Well, you're, you're using preview in a non-standard way, but it tends to work uh, fairly correct. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, except when it doesn't. But right. um, <laughs> So anyway, so I said to Larry, yeah, you know, it'd be really nice. And, and I think some operating systems, maybe not the mainstream ones, can actually do this. They're like, oh, you know, something's broken. Let me let me restore it. That That's great. Sure. Um, one thing I suggested to him uh, would be that you may want to, and this is where what I'm suggesting now may make sense, Dave. So one thing I suggested to him is, you know, maybe it's not the app itself that's damaged. Maybe it's a piece of the app or, or one of the support files. The thing is, how do you find out, you know, like a plist file? Typically, you know, an app uh, stores settings and, and other interesting things in, in a, a plist file. Sure. But usually it's it's a, I mean, you could go digging through your system folder and your library folder and extension, uh, or you could find an app that tells you what these files are. And my favorite, Dave, and the price is right, is in that it's free, Yep, is App Cleaner. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So www.freemacsoft.net slash app cleaner. And what happens, though this adds an interesting twist, so I thought, you know, why don't we identify the support files like some of the plist files maybe one of them is screwed up and actually maybe the app itself is not damaged so don't actually remove preview with app cleaner but but get it halfway through the process of removing it so as to identify what other files it might be related to this app that that you should then remove uh only those and leave the actual application behind correct because what what happens is that if you drag an app on top of app cleaner or the way I have it set up is I have a alias on the desktop. And if you drag an app over to it, it will show you all the support files. And then you could selectively decide to trash maybe just the P list files and see if that fixes things. Huh. So I think that'd be a first step. Now here, here's a odd <clears throat> thing that happened when I tried this, Dave. So I was on my, you know, uh, shiny new refurb machine and I dragged preview on top of, uh, App on top of uh, app cleaner yeah and it didn't show any support files i'm like hmm well, that's kind of annoying why why isn't it doing what i ask it then i went to a backup that i had uh that i made with carbon copy cloner using this raid array and i'm playing with raid arrays and i think i'll talk more about that a little later and i dragged the 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 preview app from my backup onto app cleaner and all of a sudden it magically showed me all of the support files and i'm like okay what, what's going on here and i actually wrote the author and i said dude what's up man <laughs> i should have read the manual or read the instructions because you know what he he's actually doing the right thing here in that um 
if you go to the preferences for this app and go to general and say protect launched app or protect default apps, that's exactly what it was doing. It's like, um, right, you right. know, you're, you're trying to throw away uh, an app that the OS really kind of kind of likes to use. So I'm not going to show you <laughs> these it. support files. Yeah, sure. That makes and sense. I actually indicated that a little later. I saw that and it showed a little lock. And I'm like, ah, that's the reason. All right. So that was one suggestion is, you know, maybe maybe you want to try that first. Um, remove the support files. Um, the other thing would be, well, hey, why don't you drag, you know, since you're a good person and you make uh, a backup. Um, why don't you drag preview from the backup onto your uh, system? And that was my second suggestion. Yeah. So one, try to get rid of the support files. Number two, drag it from a backup. That's why you make the backup. Yep. <laughs> um, then he got back to me and said, uh, can't I just reinstall the OS? And I'm like, ah, you know, that, that, no, don't do that, man. I mean, that's just, a, to me, that's just a ham-fisted way of, that's, of that's solving punting. the problem. That's right. Yeah. That's, sometimes that's it's worth punting. In the towel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> then i got back to, i'm like no no re- really come on you know, try this uh, uh, go through this i'm, I'm trying to help you, you right. know, but I'm, I'm trying to help you methodically solve this issue here and basically he got back to me and said hey you know what i brought it over from backup launched it everything's great awesome so that made me very happy so i guess what you're but, saying um, is- showed me the value uh, 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 so what i'm saying is if you want to get rid of some of the cruft Right. And I think you, you see where I'm going with this. If you want to get rid of some of the, why don't you toss the apps from the old system before you migrate? That may reduce the amount of perceived or actual cruft that you're bringing over. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, sure. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> it is. It is. I, I mean, it, as far as Paul's thing, I, there is value in these these apps like app cleaner and, and others. I mean, Hazel does this sort of thing that, you know, there's, there's all kinds of apps that, that, that do this and, and they all do it fairly well and, and to different uh, degrees, but, um, but they don't get everything. They don't know where you've put all this stuff. So there, there is some value in starting completely from scratch and installing apps, especially if you've been through, you know, two or more OS major OS upgrades. I, it, it's not mandatory though. I want to point that out because you really are okay. Um, you know, Apple does a pretty good job with not only migration assistant, but just the upgrade engine uh, that's built into their, their OSs these days. So it, you're not in, in a horrible spot, but third parties don't necessarily, you know, don't inherit that from Apple. So it, it, there, there are times when it's like, yeah, you know what? Let's just start from scratch. Here's the thing about starting mm-hmm. from scratch. It's probably not as bad as you think it's going to be. It's not going to take you as long as you think it will. This, this is true of me. Um, there's not that many apps that you use. I mean, how many, how many apps ask yourself the question, how many apps do I use every day? And then even over the course of a month, how many apps do I use? And the answer is probably less than 20. For a lot of us, it might even be less than 10. And that's just not a big deal to go and get those, you know, 15, 20 apps. And even if you include like, you know, things that we, that we forget about, like the, the, you know, default folder and text expander, right? Those apps that you might never intentionally launch, although I guess text expander you launch, but you know, things like that, that, that just are part of your workflow. Like for me, keyboard maestro, you know, if it was gone, I would immediately miss my, my, um, my, my, my clipboard. Uh, switching right you know and and so those kinds of things but even with that you know you're probably in the the 20 or so range it's just not that many things to reinstall 
And when you do that, now you know, well, I don't have that other, you know, weird uh, clipboard sharing thing that I tried between my Mac and iOS and it doesn't work, but it might still be trying to do something and slowing down the pro right? There's all this other stuff that, uh, that you forget about that you might not catch with app cleaner or, or anything like that. So that, that's why I, I, you know, I, I, I support Paul's, Paul's effort here. It's, it's not mandatory, but when you're ready, it's a good thing to do. That's all. And I've done this. I did this recently with, you know, with my MacBook. I think I told you with the, the old machine is that everything got totally trashed and I I actually did start fresh. The, The only, headache minor headache you know it wasn't the end of the world sure because you know i make backups um was to find the serial numbers or the cd or whatever you want sure. to call them to find the serial numbers for the apps that i do use uh frequently and then and like you said there, there's a handful yeah default folder uh yeah. graphic converter carbon copy cloner a few others but yeah it's for most people uh probably yeah, I'm with you, you know, 10 or 20, maybe at most. Uh, yeah. And, you know, of course, if you buy it through the app store, then you're cool because you just download oh, it. Again. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, that totally solves all that, all that, right? Serial numbers and even finding the files. It's just they're right there. All right. So we um, I got a couple things I want to go through. First of all, I, I want to quickly um, and hopefully for the last time uh, visit this misconception that's that seems to be permeating out there. We got a lot of emails this week about Yosemite and SSDs and third party, uh, third party SSDs and trim. And here's the deal. Uh, it seems as though there's a lot of uh, you and, and, and folks beyond the, the listener range of the show uh, who have, who have come to believe that third-party SSDs won't work with OS 10 Yosemite. That is 100% incorrect. I am doing it on many machines here at the house and office. It's no problem. What doesn't work is a third-party e- extension uh, or, or trick or utility called Trim Enabler. Trim is one way, but not the only way, but one way of doing what's called garbage collection on an SSD. And and we'll just leave it at that. You definitely want your SSD to do some level of garbage collection because otherwise it will um, potentially slow down the longer you use it. And we'll leave it at that. We've talked about garbage collection before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. We'll mm-hmm. leave it at that. So you want your SSD doing some, some level of garbage collection. Trim is one that allows the OS to give the uh, the the SSD some information about garbage collection, and it it is built into OS 10. But the way Apple has built it in, it only works with SSDs that Apple has provided, and it's an artificial limitation. Apple's Trim would actually work fine with all SSDs that support Trim, which is all SSDs these days. But Apple has decided to put a filter in place. Trim enabler takes that filter out. However, Trim enabler with Yosemite because of some security uh, restrictions that Apple put into Yosemite requires you putting your Mac in a mode that may render it unbootable after OS updates or PRAM resets. So therefore trim enabler is really not recommended and I am not using it. But the reason I am comfortable not using it is because the SSDs that I am using, the third party SSDs that I'm using have their own garbage collection. I prefer to use as much as I can. So if trim enabler were not uh, uh, something that, that 
potentially put my Mac at risk of not being able to boot. And it's not trim enabler that does this. It's the mode you have to put your Mac into to use trim enabler um, with Yosemite that, that, that is sort of the, the, the headache here. And it's not a, it's not a, it, it, there's no damage that's happening. It's just a little headache because of the, you have to put it in developer mode. And if it winds up not being in developer mode, you have a problem. So, um, so don't use trim enabler with Yosemite. Do use third party SSDs, all of them. It's not just OWC is one company and they were smart. Uh, I, I give them a lot of credit, uh, especially from a PR standpoint. They did that article. I think it was with, with CNET or maybe the verge um, where Larry O'Connor talked about uh, how their SSDs are perfectly fine without trim enabler and with Yosemite and it works great. He's right. Their SSDs are, and I'm running one of them and it's awesome. Um, but Samsung's are the same way. Uh, Kingston's are the same way, you know, uh, VCX or VCZs are the same way, right? They all have built in garbage collection now. So crucials are the same way. So you're totally fine with a third party SSD and Yosemite. Um, just don't turn on trim enabler. It's probably not worth the headache to you. If you completely understand the headache and you want to head down that path, great. Then, then you're in great shape. Um, I completely understand the headache. I know exactly how to get myself out of trouble if I'm in trouble. And I have already chosen thus far not to use trim enabler because I just don't, I don't even want to find myself there. It's not important. If I get to a point where my SSD, I feel like my SSDs are slowing down and they would benefit from trim enabler, then I will do that. But I don't believe that point will ever happen. So because the SSDs have their own built-in garbage collection. Right? Simple, right, John? Uh, I'm with you. The... The problem is there were, um, and I'll shake my fist at them, and you can find them, but if you do a search, there's a couple of articles out there, Dave. I mean, I'm looking at one right now, and the title is Apple Kills Third-Party SSD Support in Yosemite, and that right. is, as you pointed out, incorrect. A hundred, wholly incorrect. That's right. SSDs work fine. They may not work at optimum efficiency. But they probably do given their own built-in collection so sure yeah but um but but yeah to say and and that that bothers me that people were making this statement that uh you know i think and we had more than one person write us saying you know what is this about ssds not working with yosemite and it's like it it, it's bogus man don't pay attention to these people pay pay attention to us (laughs) all right so a couple of quick things before we wrap up here john um a lot of people have been enamored with the font on the new uh, apple watch in all the screenshots and videos that font is, uh, I believe, called San Francisco, and it's a, it's a new font, but several folks are convinced that this will be the font that we will have in, uh, in OS X in the future and on iOS in the future, and they may well be right. Um, if you want it on OS X Yosemite now, Corey uh, Emdick, the uh, esteemed author of our Mac Geek Cab iOS app, which I highly recommend you check out. I would love it. Uh, now works f- fully on the iPad, iPhone 6, iPhone 6 Plus. It, it works everywhere, and it's awesome. Uh, you can chat from there. You can listen to the stream. Corey likes this San Francisco font and sent us a link to uh, to someone that... Uh, that has made a way of using San Francisco in Yosemite today. I did this on my Mac. It is literally, you can, you can do it manually by installing these font files and putting them where you want, or there's a a single terminal script that you can run that will download them and put them right where you want them. And uh, I did that on mine. I restarted Mm. my Mac and it, it, I, I really like it. I agree. It looks great. So, uh, so I, um, 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Brian Monroe's pointing out it's not really a new font. It was a name for a font on the old 68K Max. I think it's been updated, but um, but that's right. You're absolutely right. Um, so I have it running on my uh, on my iMac down in the office, and uh, I think it looks great. It works really well, and so that just kind of a you know cool stuff found. Uh, thanks, Corey, for uh, for sharing that. And then lastly, uh, a follow up from show five twenty eight. Uh, we'll let Dave uh, wrap things up for today uh, because he has an answer that we were that we were looking for. Hey guys, in the second to last episode when you were chatting about Scott making the raid on the fly and building the uh, the the raid the way he wanted, uh, one thought I think the original question came back to the idea of creating a clone that's sort of constant in the background. I'd used uh, sort of a cool stuff found in, in the past, uh, a, a program called Sync, S-Y-N-K, S-Y-N-K. Google that, it'll come up near the top. And they hadn't updated it recently, but now it is updated for Yosemite. And that tended to work pretty well uh, in the past. I haven't tried it recently, but might. And that does exactly what I think the original question was, the idea of saying I want to have a clone that's consistently updated all the time um, live. I mean, I guess down to the second. So, yes, yeah, kind of a cool thing to check out. Dave from Missouri City, Texas, originally from Connecticut, longtime listener. And uh, you guys are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing and cut me off. You got it. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Thanks for reminding us to sync that you're, you're right. That that's exactly what it does. S Y N K from Decimus. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. Thank you everyone for, uh, for all the stuff you've sent in today. And, uh, we'll see how this new audio setup works here, John. I'm hearing a lot of, uh, weird things on my end, but I think they're only in my ears. I'm hoping so. Cause otherwise, not, not in your head. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think, well, <laughs> I think they're being created external to my head, but uh, but somewhere mm. between when the show where the show where the the point where the, that is actually being recorded for everyone and uh, and the and where it gets to my ears. Uh, trying the old Firewire interface today is actually what I'm doing, but um, I don't think it's it, it, you know it's Skype. I, I totally I totally blame Skype because when I do all of this stuff and don't have Skype running, there are no audio issues whatsoever. But whatever way the Skype Skype is kind of injecting itself into the audio stream is is non is not good but anyway it's you know it's how it works and when you want to do zero latency monitoring which is what we want to do we're geeks what can i say feedback at macgeekup.com is the place to which you can send in all of your tips and questions and cool stuff found in comments right did I hear you right, Dave? I, I don't know. I think I think I'm having audio issues because uh, I I think you said feedback at macgeekab.com. Yeah, I said feedback at macgeekab.com is what I said, and uh, I think what I said is is uh, is correct. <laughs> premium at macgeekab.com is the address that all of you premium folks uh, can send your questions into. The uh, we are changing vendors for the premium mugs, the vendor that we have worked with in the past for everything. Cirque du Mac t-shirts and, and the, the premium water bottles and all that stuff. He is uh, very slow this time of year to respond. Mm. Uh, I'm assuming, uh, well, he's he's out of town and all this stuff. It's a shame not being able to use Steve. I've, uh, but we are we are changing horses because that is the best thing for you. So uh, so we're changing those horses this week. Hopefully should uh, have some progress on that. 206-666-GEEK 
is the number you can call. And John Geek is Geek. Yeah. Oh, you want it numerically? Well, sure. numerically, last I checked, it's four, three, three, five. But that's not all, Dave. What is all? You wanna, well, you know, there's there a whole bunch of ways you can get in touch with pick us. Pick one. Example. Yes. Well, I'm going to pick one because if you've been paying attention to it and you had this Wi-Fi issue, you would see that I, you know, tweeted out a little little link to it. And, and I, I will do so as I update it, in addition to, you know, probably sharing it with Mackie Gab and Mac Observer, you know, just because I'm that type of guy. Yeah. But um, there's the Twitters. I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. That other guy is Pilot Pete. The podcast is Mac Geekab, and the publication is Mac Observer, all at twitter.com. Yes, thank you for that, John. Uh, and also thanks to Michael Johnston, host of the iOS Show podcast, publisher of getappler.com, and esteemed converter of, uh, of this show to AAC, enhancer of this show. Michael also did uh, the uh, pretty much all of the UI work inside of uh, the Mac Geekab app, too. So thanks for that, too, Michael. Uh, also, thanks to the folks at uh, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, for hosting this show, providing all the bandwidth. Um, I want to thank our, our sponsors. Uh, of course, this week, our, sm- our sponsors being Smile at SmileSoftware.com with PDF Pen, PDF Pen uh, Scan Plus. I'll get that right. My lips will make those, those sounds. Casper at uh, Casper.com slash MGG with the coupon code MGG to get 50 bucks off. Harry's at harrys.com and the coupon code MGG holiday for five bucks off of your order, regardless of whether you're a new customer or not. I also want to point out last week, um, right after we finished the show, publishing the show, uh, Raccio wrote us the sprinkler folks and said, if you use the coupon code MGG there, you get 70 bucks off. So, uh, so check that out. Uh, coupon code MGG at Raccio.com. Also, of course, uh, our sponsors include Barebones uh, Software at barebones.com, Gazelle at uh, gazelle.com to sell back all your stuff or buy you stuff, uh, squarespace.com slash MGG to host your own site, Linda at lynda.com slash MGG, and uh, still MGG50 is your coupon at Drobo to get your uh, your Gen 3 Drobo for uh, for 50 bucks off. So, yeah, lots of good deals this season. I like it. John, what do you have to say? I have to stay, especially with this season. If you don't want to not... Oh, man, I messed it up. <laughs> Be good and you'll get goodies uh, at the appropriate time. And what you have to do is make sure you don't get caught. Made up.